Merciful Father, through holy baptism, you called us to be your own possession. Grant that our lives may evidence the working of your Holy Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, according to the image of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, um, so we're continuing our section on baptism for our Lutheranism 101 study. And I said that hopefully we'd get through before Advent midweeks, but I forgot that we'll have Thanksgiving Eve um, and a couple Wednesday nights. So I don't know if we'll actually get through it or not, but that's fine. Um, there's no really no reason to rush. Um, also last week I had mentioned that there is a prayer for celebrating baptismal anniversaries, which is something we talked about last week in the hymnal. And I found it while I was reading that prayer I just read. Um, or prayed. It's on page 310 in the Lutheran service book. So if you have a hymnal at home and you want to pray the prayer for baptismal anniversary on a baptismal anniversary, it's on page 310. Okay, so uh, just as a way of quick review, uh, last week we kind of defined what is baptism, which is our starting point for talking about anything about baptism. We didn't even talk about the power of baptism, what baptism does, or anything like that, just what is baptism. Um, and we looked at the catechism definition, which led us to Matthew 28, uh, which is the word of God, not just plain water, but the word of God in and with the water, that is the baptism. And uh, Matthew 28 says what, by God's command, that we are to baptize, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptize. What does bap- baptize mean? What's the verb mean? To wash with water. Right. That's our that's our working definition. Um, you have the Baptist, the church body, the Baptist, that uh, will. Um, fight you on this and we'll say baptize means immerse but remember we talked about how if you look in a dictionary you know you might have definition one definition two definition three and um, there are different definitions for words based on their usage in language so if you go through um, all the greek uh, language around the time of the the, the bible around uh, the first century a.d um, you're going to find the word baptize and the first most common definition is simply to wash with water, right? Uh, that's the most common definition. And then you might have another definition would be to immerse. Uh, so there's no reason to think that it has to be definition number two, if you will, in Matthew 28. Um, and uh, it's pretty clear uh, if you also look in – the other thing we talked about with that, if you look in the Old Testament – the Old Testament precedent for baptism is uh, the Levitical cleansings, Leviticus 11 through 15, the uh, cleansings for the temple. Um, it's pretty clear that those were not full immersions in water all the time, um, that you'd wash in a basin. So, uh, of course, in the Bible, we also have examples of immersion. There's nothing wrong with immersion. Um, in fact, immersion is really good symbolism. We'll talk about some of the passages today. Uh, where we can see how an immersion baptism is a good symbol of uh, what the water is is in reality doing. 
But um, there's no reason to say that we must uh, immerse, right? And and do you know why um, we don't immerse in most Lutheran churches? Why we have fonts and not and not um, immersion bath uh, font baptism fonts? There's no lakes. Well, it's <laughs> well we got lakes here. Uh, the the reason we do is because the Baptists, when Lutherans got to America, said you have to immerse. And we said, no, we don't. So, no, we don't. Yeah, that's why. Um, you know, we, we, have to, we have to prove uh, Scripture alone in all things. Okay, so this is our working definition. To wash with water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, when we start with this basic definition... Right, we're not going to be uh, making presuppositions about what baptism is going to be. Right, our presupposition—the only presupposition we have uh, for anything that we believe and, and confess—is Scripture alone. Right, that's our only presupposition. But whenever you look at uh, other, maybe denominations, other church bodies, um, whenever people will uh, disagree with what what we're going to say about baptism, uh, notice that they never start with this basic definition. They're always starting with some other presupposition like, well, it can't be uh, – it, it can't really be regeneration. It has to be some sort of external symbol. right? That's, that's a presupposition that the Baptist has that uh, is not – they're not starting with Scripture alone and then working out from there. They're, saying, they're already saying, well, there's, there's no way – that um, baptism really it could be that powerful, right? So um, it, it has to be a symbol. They kind of start there. Or with the Roman Catholics, they start with the idea that this is um, kind of a magic act. Uh, we talked about that phrase, ex opere operato, and a magic act of the priest that's going to earn some sort of favor. And that is out of their whole system of sacraments. They're starting with their kind of... Uh, external theology and then taking scripture and trying to make it fit in we start with scripture right what does luther start with he just starts with matthew 28 and then works out from there um, so we always want to think about what our presuppositions are and our presupposition is going to be scripture alone. now with that said that brings us to today um, the other thing we did last week by the way in terms of review is just uh, look at a couple technical terms that come up in the discussion of baptism. So uh, obviously we talked about the word baptize, uh, the word sacrament, uh, well, the term Baptist, the term Anabaptist, uh, the term John the Baptist. Like what do these all have to do? Why is this all the same word? We talked about that last week too, but um, we won't go into all that again. What I want to do this week is uh, look at baptism in the Bible. So I told you last week, that I heard a pastor say one time that infant baptism was really simple. All you had to do is line up all the Bible verses about baptism in the Bible and line up all the verses about infants in the Bible. And then you it would be clear that we should baptize babies. And I said to myself, yeah, I think that's probably true. Has anyone done that? We should do that. I should do that. And so um, that's what I'm doing. I, I lined up. Um, all the main verses, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about baptism. Um, I lined up a lot of verses in the Bible about baptism, New Testament mainly, 
about, I think, 12 of them? Yeah, 12. Uh, we got 12 passages, and not only uh, did I find that it was very clear that we should baptize babies, which was not a surprise, but um, I also realized, and again, this should not surprise me at all, but I realized basically if I teach these 12 verses about from the Bible about baptism uh, that we're going to go through, then I really could just end it there because we're going to talk basically about every other aspect of baptism um, that's going to come up in our discussion that comes up in the book. Um, and that's actually great because what does that show you? It shows you that what we believe is based on Scripture alone, right? Lutherans don't believe stuff that's not in the Bible. Uh, it's it's actually all there. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think sometimes we will talk about everything we believe um, without actually going to the Scripture and finding it or remembering where it is in the Scripture. Uh, and then it kind of seems like this external theological system, but uh, really it is drawn from Scripture. It, it truly is. And it was a good just very basic reminder to me as as a pastor and as a Christian um, going through these 12 verses or 12 passages um, that, yeah, everything we believe is, is drawn from the Scriptures. Um, this isn't – we don't have to – overly qualify everything we don't have to um you know make stuff up that's not there we don't have to try and fill in the gaps or something like that um it really is all there for us so um let's go ahead and just uh if you have your bibles ready we'll kind of go through these passages uh the first first one we'll look at is uh matthew 28 uh 16 and following to the end of Matthew 28 there. Someone want to read uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20? Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, uh, perfect. So... Uh, first of all here, notice uh, verse 16. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So uh, we learned something here, not just about baptism, but about the office of the holy ministry. So the Great Commission is often cited as, you know, the primary text for evangelism, for witnessing. And it definitely has something to do with that, right, uh, to go and make disciples, but uh, notice it's not the crowds that are there, right? It's not, it's not the whole church that's there. The, it's the 11 disciples, right? So Judas is gone. It's the 11 disciples who are still with Jesus before Matthias comes. Um, just making sure he's paying attention. 
Um, it's only the pastors that are there, the apostolic pastors that are there with, with Jesus. And the command, so the, the command uh, is specifically given to uh, the pastors. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So uh, the word, I've, I've said this before, but the word teaching uh, in in the Greek and, and the word for proclaim or preach, uh, these words are not really separate from each other. These things always go together. And um, oftentimes... It seems throughout the New Testament that there's not a distinction between preaching and teaching. And that, that bears itself out in the history of the church, too, that um, I, I know I've said this before, that when Lutherans came to America, this kind of thing, uh, a Sunday school class or a Bible study class outside of the a divine service, outside of a worship service, was not really known. Um, that, that was never done really in the history of the church up until – uh, the 19th and 20th uh, centuries. Um, that that's more of a Methodist invention. Uh, to Sunday school, like kids' Sunday school, was invented by the Methodists in um, 20th century America as like an evangelism tactic. So there's nothing wrong with it. But um, what I would say is just to always keep in mind when you hear the word uh, preach or teach, what that's talking about is what the pastor's job is to do to the congregation. Um, and normally in the context of a sermon, but we can do it here as well. And I basically consider what I'm doing right now a sermon. It's just a more casual sermon, right? But uh, this is the job that pastors are given for the New Testament church um, is to teach and preach. But notice this is where we also get to bring it back to what we're talking about. Our command to baptize. And so who are the people that should be doing the baptisms? The pastors, right? And uh, that has been what basically the New Testament Christian church has always done um, up until, again, recently in the last hundred years. You have some groups of Christians that, you know, kind of question this and say, oh, well, anyone can anyone can do the baptism. So like uh, I. I ran into this guy um, that we were talking about baptism and stuff, and he was very concerned that I, if if they were a part of the church, that I would not let him be the one to baptize his own children. Because at the church he was previously part of, he got to baptize his kids. Um, that it was like somehow the father's job. That's like a completely new idea. So I just want to point that out. What I will say is that when we talk about the necessity of baptism, there is – because baptism is uh, necessary for salvation, which we'll talk about what that means later, um, it is common throughout Christian church history, New Testament church history, that emergency baptisms can be performed by any believing Christian um, if a pastor is not available right there. Because it would be better to have this person baptized than to, to um, than not, right? So if you have basically any um, catechism, hymnal, or Bible published by Concordia Publishing House anytime recently, uh, you will have in there, if you open up to like the back page normally, a emergency right for holy baptism, um, which – 
basically says, in urgent situations, in the absence of a pastor, any Christian may administer holy baptism. Uh, if time permits, the following may precede the baptism. And it's got some Bible verses there and a prayer. And then Lord's Prayer, Apostles' Creed. And then um, it instructs you on how to take, take water, call the child or adult by name, and pour the water on the head of the candidate saying, name, comma, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, and then it should, and then it, it's got this important note at the bottom. Holy baptism administered by a layperson shall immediately be reported to the pastor for its recognition by the congregation. And then there's actually a right um, in the agenda that is for recognition of a baptism that was performed outside the church. So then we have, you know, the cake and punch later, basically. Um, but just so you're aware, uh, that that does exist. And the main way this normally occurs, I think, probably the most common, is for like NICU babies that babies born and may not make it, and a Christian nurse will will baptize the baby. Um, and that I'd say that's the most common. So I've I've heard a lot of stories of like LCMS nurses doing this for for people. So um, that does happen. But Matthew 28, my point, uh, my first point there is just that the baptism is given to pastors to do then, along with the teaching and preaching. Okay. Um, that and that's not to say also, by the way, that by way of uh, delegation and by way of um, the this command coming through the apostles to the church that every day every Christian um, every layperson should not witness Christ to people but then uh, the question is when you witness Christ to someone when you invite someone to church when you tell someone the gospel when you share the gospel with someone and they hear it and uh, they they want to come and be and see, um, you know, who Jesus is and what he does, where do you bring them? You bring them to the church, and then the pastor catechizes and baptizes them, right? So um, that's all in line. Witnessing is, is all in line with with this command in Matthew 28. Anyway, um, that's that's aside, beside the point. Okay. All right. Um, the next thing to notice here is... In verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, so this is something that's going to come up again later. But who's the one? Who's the one that has charge over the baptism? The disciples? No. Jesus. Right. Jesus has command over the baptism, um, and this is part of the in the name is that. Not only are we giving the name or putting the name of baptism or, or of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God on the person, but when the disciple, when the pastor, when the, when the one in the apostolic office baptizes, it's not just uh, – it's, it's also in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in the same way that whenever I uh, forgive the sins, I say – as a called and ordained servant of the word, in the stead of Christ, forgive you your sins. So this in is kind of a double entendre that it's you're baptizing them into the fellowship with God, which we'll, we'll talk about. But also the one baptizing is not the pastor. 
or the nurse or whoever. It is God. God is the one doing the work of the baptism. In the same way that whenever I say, um, when I'm consecrating the elements, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, I'm not saying this is Sawyer Meyer's body and blood. This is Jesus' body and blood. But I use the word my because I'm speaking as the pastor in the stead of Christ. Right? So when I say, I baptize you, the I there is not me, you know, uh, the guy from Bryan, Arkansas, it's Jesus. Right? So, um, and that, that comes from Jesus' authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, go therefore and, and do this from my authority, right? Um, that's where that authority is coming from. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we talked about in, in the name, in the setup. Um, the, the other thing I would say here, too, is with the formula that Jesus gives. Um, it's a it's a good formula. So did y'all read that news story a couple? I think it was like last year, where that priest in Arizona uh, was baptizing um, everyone that he baptized, saying, "We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And then the Pope said that 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 doesn't count anymore. <laughs> All those baptisms didn't count. So the except the the ones that had died, it counted. The ones that hadn't died, he had they had to rebaptize. Yeah, so um, that's not what we believe. So we would say in that case that um, the most important part is that they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, however, there's no reason to ever be cute with these things, okay? Um, God gives a command here, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on my authority, and as the church has always done, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are even worse cases where you have things like um, mainline liberals like the ELCA or whatever that they don't like the masculine forms of father and son, which is to deny God himself. And they'll say, uh, I baptize you in the name of the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. And that gets very questionable, right? And then... We have to, if someone from a church like that that was baptized that way comes in a church, we have to say, okay, well, what was meant by that? Um, and have to kind of think through, was that a Christian baptism or not, right? Uh, these things get complicated. And so it's always good. Uh, I, I'm just bringing this up as a practical issue that. Um, we follow – there's a reason that I like to do what's in the book um, because I – I mean I've studied a lot of the liturgy and I've studied and, – and you know that in, whenever we have our services, um, there's always the little scripture references nearby that show where everything comes from in our service, how it comes uh, from the scriptures and how it's not denying what's in the scriptures. But um, when we do things liturgically, when we, when we act in the divine service, the reason I want to do what's in the book and not make up my own stuff is because I just don't think I'm that smart, right? Um, I think the history of the church is a lot smarter than me, and um, I don't want to get creative and mess up something that God commanded, right? And so this is kind of a practical issue that people 
um, modern people thought that they can get really creative with with the way that we do baptisms. And um, it's just what what does it do ultimately? It's going to cause doubt, right? It's going to cause doubt for the baptized. It's going to cause doubt for the pastor. It's going to cause doubt for apparently the pope or whatever um, in Arizona. But uh, let's just not cause doubt, right? So um, during COVID, there were people trying to baptize with water guns. Like, just don't be dumb, okay? Like, let's just stop this nonsense and uh, and um, just do what's in the book, okay? That's that's my plea for anyone, any priest in Arizona watching this podcast. Just do what's in the book, okay? Uh, the final thing to say about Matthew 28 and baptism is that notice the connection of baptizing. I've already let two markers dry out tonight, guys. Uh, baptizing and teaching. That these two things go together to make disciples. And this happens in a couple different ways. For infants... And young children who are baptized into the faith as infants or young children, the teaching follows, right? Um, it would be a travesty, in my opinion, to baptize a child and then for that, those children to stop uh, coming to church and to stop learning, right? Um, for adults, we say uh, – and we'll, we'll talk about this later on in more depth – we say because your mind's already developed to understand uh, these things on a more cognitive level, we'll do the teaching first and then we'll baptize so you can fully understand what you're experiencing when you're baptized. Uh, but either way, the two go together. They should not be separated, right? And this is originally the idea um, of confirmation is that – the, the idea of confirmation, while it's, confirmation is not in the Bible, the idea is that you're going to confirm the faith into which you were baptized, right? So you're going to um, say, I was baptized into this faith as a child. Now I have a, a better cognitive understanding of it. Didn't mean I didn't have full uh, faith before because faith is not cognitive. But I have a cognitive understanding of the faith now, and so I'm saying I'm still believing that, right, after I've been uh, catechized, after I've been taught into it. Um, and that teaching, and regardless of if it's a um, – also note that both these things go on throughout the Christian life. So regardless of if it's an infant or an adult and what order it happens in, um, the baptism remains throughout the Christian life. You remember your baptism throughout your life, and you keep on learning. Right? Confirmation was never meant to be a graduation from the faith. Right? Confirmation was confirming the faith you were baptized into, but now you're going to continue to learn – as as a young adult and an adult um, throughout your life. Okay. All right. That's one passage down. Eleven more to go. We only got 25 minutes. Let's go. All right. Um, Matthew 3, starting at verse 11. Winning for is 
his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. Gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right, yeah, that's good. Um, okay, so uh, we're, we're backing up into the beginning of Matthew. So we just did the end of Matthew. And this is where John the Baptist is baptizing. And he distinguishes between um, his baptism and Jesus' baptism. He says, um, I indeed baptize you with water for repentance. So he has a baptism of repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. That would be Jesus. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, so we'll talk about what that means in just a second. Um, but notice there's a progression of baptism. So first of all, if we go back to the Old Testament, like I said earlier, if you look at Leviticus 11 uh, through 15, you get these cleansing rites where um, they're called to wash um, whenever they become unclean before they come back into the camp. And if you look at John 3, uh, for instance, or no, sorry, John 2, if you look at John 2, the wedding at Cana, um, you have the ritual washing jars there, which is what the water is in that's going to be turned to wine. Um, Those are the kind of jars that would be used for this cleansing. And uh, that's the original wash, right? To wash with water, that's where the washing with water comes from. So you, this is kind of um, a little bit of like intertestamental knowledge, but it does – if you don't think about this, it seems kind of weird that John the Baptist just shows up and starts thinking I should put water on people as a religious ritual, right? Well, where does that come from in Old Testament Christianity? It, it comes from Leviticus, right? It comes from the, the books of Moses. They, they were doing washings. Um, but what were those washings for? Those were for clean and unclean. That was for the ritual law. Now um, that ritual law is being uh, fulfilled in the New Testament. And so we have uh, John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And uh, this is a washing of repentance okay so this is uh repentance uh is to have contrition for your sins right so he's calling that people would uh repent of their sins they would feel sorry for their sins and turn away from them um have a new heart and he's uh calling for this and people are coming down and they're being uh repenting of their sins and being baptized that is not a full Christian baptism yet, though, because uh, Christ has not come with the Holy Spirit and fire yet. So he says Christ is going to come with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, what does Holy Spirit and fire make you think about? Baptism. <laughs> Good. Acts 2. What's in Acts 2? Pentecost. Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes down in tongues of fire. And what happens after Peter preaches the repentance, but then also the forgiveness of sins at Pentecost? What do the people say? They say, what should we do? What does Peter tell them to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay? 
So Holy Spirit and fire is code for Pentecost baptism, which is code for water baptism, of course, because the word baptize, I mean, baptism includes water, right? So when he says to baptize, to wash with water with the Holy Spirit and fire, he's talking about this Pentecost baptism, which is forgiveness doesn't really go here. That's still John the Baptist, but uh, Christ Pentecost baptism, uh, forgiveness baptism. Okay, so it's a baptism of repentance and forgiveness, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This promise is for you and your children. Okay. Um, so actually, that, that was my next passage. Um, well, let's let's do a couple more things in Matthew 3. But that's our next passage, so keep that Acts 2 in mind. Um, okay, and then um, if we'll, we'll keep reading in Matthew 3 before we turn from that page. So after verse 12, I'll just keep reading here, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came down from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Okay, so Jesus gets baptized now. Uh, John says this guy's coming who's going to bring this Pentecost baptism. And then he comes, and he's baptized. And John has the same question that you probably have. Why is Jesus being baptized by John? Um, Why would he do that? And the answer is that it is fitting to fulfill Righteousness, fitting to fulfill righteousness. Okay, so this is what we call we got we call this a couple things, but to fulfill righteousness, that uh, for Jesus to fulfill righteousness, for Christ to fulfill righteousness, this is we can call this the great exchange. That's what Luther called it. Or uh, if we want to be really fancy, we can call this the atonement. If we want to be really, really fancy, we can call it the substitutionary atonement. The substitutionary atonement. But the idea, no matter what you call this, is that when Jesus is born of a man, when Jesus humbles himself, taking on the form of a servant, uh, takes, takes on himself humanity, is both uh, incarnate, he is two, two natures, one person, uh, God and man. When he does that, he does that so that he can fulfill God's law perfectly throughout his whole life and die on the cross and take God's wrath for our sin and give us all of his perfect righteousness. Right? So we give God our, we give Christ our sin. He dies with it on the cross. He gives us his fulfilled righteousness. So that when God looks down on us to judge us, his wrath against us has been carried out against his son. And he judges us on account of Jesus' 
perfection on account of Jesus' righteousness, right? So we get to switch places. It's substitutionary. It's an exchange. And so when we think about baptism, what's going on in Jesus' baptism? He is fulfilling righteousness. It is God's will that his children would be baptized. And so Jesus is baptized. But notice uh, something amazing going on in this baptism. You can think about what Luther said in the flood prayer that we read last week, that through his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus sanctified all waters to be a lavish washing away of sin, that Jesus is turning this baptism of repentance, these ritual washings, he's now turning this into the fulfilling righteousness, the great exchange, an atonement baptism. This is the act, if you will, that, that sanctifies the waters. Um, I had a seminary professor who always liked to picture it this way, that when Jesus is sitting there in the Jordan, uh, his righteousness is flowing out of him into the water so that when we go into those waters, his righteousness flows into us. And our sins flow out of us into those waters and they flow onto Jesus and he takes them to the cross. Right. So you can kind of think of that image when you're thinking about why Jesus has to be baptized. Why Jesus has to be baptized. It's to fulfill all righteousness. Okay. And then on top of that, back to Matthew 28, baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one of the proof texts for the Trinity, um, that this is how God reveals himself. What do we have here? We have the Son in the waters. We have the Spirit coming over the waters in the form of a dove. That should remind you of Genesis 1. The Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And we have the voice of the Father from heaven coming down. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all manifest there at Jesus' baptism. It tells you this is kind of an important thing. And then it makes sense then that baptism, our baptism is done with the Trinity all there, right? Um, that you have that, that connection of the Trinity there, Jesus' baptism and our baptism. Is that right. the first time you see that, or does it happen when Jesus was born? Um, that is the first time that you see it with that clarity, okay. right? Um, the I mean, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is... There in Genesis one, right? So, and and John one, the, the the Trinity is all over the Bible once you start to see it, but the baptism of Jesus is a uh, special revelation of the Trinity, in the sense that it's so clear, right? Okay. Um, Acts two, so we'll jump over there. Thirty-seven through thirty-nine. Gonna have to find all my book, my uh, places for my bookmarks again. All right. So this is uh, what I already mentioned: Peter's sermon at Pentecost, um, Acts 2, 37 to 39. And there's only really one thing I want to point out here that I didn't already point out earlier. So it's for the forgiveness of sins. So this is, um, I'll just read it real quick. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for this promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Okay, uh, well, a, co- a couple things here, actually. Um, first of all, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So um, when you start to piece together these different Bible verses, uh, you'll realize that there's a the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they all are there in baptism. They all come to us in baptism. Um, but there's different relationships that we have through our baptism with um, the Trinity. So the just like in Jesus' baptism, the, the Spirit descended on Jesus. It came to Jesus. Um, so with our baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on us. He comes to us. It's, he is a gift, right? 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 We receive the Holy Spirit um, in our hearts. The, the Son, we're going to talk about this language later on in the New Testament about heirs and co-heirs. That's my favorite way to talk about how we receive the Son um, in baptism. And then also like Romans 6, that our baptism is a connection to Jesus' death and resurrection. And um, then we receive our adoption as sonship uh, to the Father. So there's these kind of different ways that we relate to um, the Trinity in baptism. But here you can see that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, but the main the main thing here to point out, just because we live in the South and we're Lutherans, is the obvious text here. This gift, baptism, is for you and your children. There is no little asterisk there that says, except for little babies, right? Um, that like it, it's just simple. Um, there's the gift of baptism is for children, and and the word there in the Greek uh, does not denote that this is like older children or something, right? Um, I don't really understand how you can say. I mean, I I think the Baptists uh, maybe say that that it's not talking about baptism specifically. It's talking about like the repentance or something. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, Eric will know. Eric's a Baptist convert. I've never even heard this. Yeah, they just ignore it. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. Right. That's good. So just ignore the things that don't fit in the system, right? Perfect. Okay. Um, Yeah, but repent and be baptized, every one of you. This gift is for you and your children. And to all, as many as are far off, right? He, he keeps emphasizing this. This is something I should have said in Matthew 28 too. Um, go therefore to all nations, right? Again, no uh, asterisk except for the, the kids in the nations, right? Like, um, that there's, you go to all people, right? As many as the Lord will call. And that, it really brings up the question of like, what is the nature of faith? And can children have faith? And, and we'll tackle that another time. But um, uh, yeah, but the gift is for the children, right? To all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. Okay. Um, Matthew, or no, sorry, while we're in Acts, Acts 8, 26 and on. Um, I'll tell you exactly what verses in a second. Um, I'm going to actually summarize some of this just so we can keep moving. So um, an angel speaks uh, to Philip 
and says, uh, go down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there's a man, an Ethiopian, um, who he finds there, and they end up riding in this chariot together and um, by the Spirit's command to Philip. And uh, Philip starts, uh, or he hears him reading, the Ethiopian reading the prophet Isaiah, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And um, the Ethiopian, without knowing it, quotes Romans 10, and he says, how can I hear unless someone guides me? And uh, Philip then starts to explain to him the scriptures and the scriptures from um, Isaiah 53 there, I believe. Uh, someone can fact check me on that. Um, uh, he's like a lamb, like a sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its ears, silent. Um, right, we read that on Good Friday. Uh, anyhow, uh, the eunuch answers uh, Philip and says, what does this mean? And Philip explains to him uh, the gospel, right? And... Then, as that happens, now we're in verse 36, so this is the baptism part. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See here, this is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. Uh, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on rejoicing. All right, so um, the main thing I just want to point out here is the urgency of baptism. So when um, the eunuch comes to faith, uh, he wants to be baptized, and that's a good thing. And uh, this is, uh, for I guess one caveat is that um, this is a special uh, revelation in Scripture, right, that um, this this story would happen and that it would be recorded uh, for us to to learn from. Uh, not every baptism has to happen exactly this way, right? This is descriptive, not prescriptive passage. So um, I don't just – whenever I have an adult convert who hasn't been baptized, I don't think this passage would be right for me to say, oh, well, let me just read you Isaiah 53 and then we'll go do the baptism right away or something like that. Um, but – the, the point here is that there is an urgency in baptism um, because, as we'll see in some later passages, uh, baptism is regenerative. Baptism does save, right? Uh, regeneration is a word we talked about last week, and because baptism is important, because baptism saves, we, we do want people to be baptized whenever they are able, um, whenever they understand and whenever uh, they have faith. We want them to be baptized, uh, understanding with the adults. And then um, when they just, but especially when they have faith. The other thing to point out here is that the Baptists will bring this passage up because they'll say, well, look, it's a believer's baptism. Um, if you believe with all your heart, you may. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and so he was baptized. One thing to note whenever the, the Baptists uh, bring up believer's baptism is that we also believe in believer's baptism. We have no problem saying that faith is. Um, required as part of baptism. We just believe that babies can believe, right? That's the, that's the thing. Um, that just like uh, a little infant can, what is faith, right? Faith is trust. Just like an infant can trust in his mother to care for him, um, so can he trust in his heavenly father to care for him. Um, he doesn't have to, to question that. Um, 
So uh, we do believe in believer's baptism. That's fine. We just believe in infant faith, <laughs> um, which is uh, a good thing, right? Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me for to such is the kingdom of God. And by the way, when Jesus says that, um, I don't even have that passage on here, but that word, let the little children, um, that word in Greek is infants, right? Let the little infants come to me for such is the, the kingdom of God. We read that. Um, the, that's one thing. We, remember last week I talked about Luther's baptismal rites? Um, that's, Luther included that passage in the baptismal rite, um, I think, for that reason. What is that, Mark 8? All right. Um, all right. Let's let's do one more, and uh, that gets us through five of twelve. So you know we're just plugging along. We are. Romans six. Romans six one through eleven. Romans six one through eleven. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that the grace that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin still live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should be no longer slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we, sh- we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, so this is a great baptismal passage. Um, Beautiful, beautiful imagery here. The first thing to note is just that first verse. Note it, where's Paul starting at? with Romans 6. So in Romans 5, um, he tells all about the glories of the gospel by grace alone. Um, And he doesn't want people to get confused, thinking that uh, just you have all this grace, now you can go live however you want. That's that fancy word we've talked about a couple times before, antinomianism. He doesn't want people to be antinomians. So he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Should we Try and sin more so that we can have more grace? No, that doesn't make any sense. What What is the freedom that you have for? Freedom to sin more? No, freedom to love more. Okay. What does this freedom come? Where does this freedom come from? And how do we know that it's freedom to love, not freedom to sin? This has to do with our baptism into Christ. Okay. And uh, what's his kind of argument here? His argument is that in your baptism, this is verse 2, you died to sin. Okay, so baptism 
Um, this is getting a little bit into now the power of baptism and what baptism does. Baptism, it washes with water. What does it wash away? It washes away sin, right? And uh, what dies in those drowning waters? The sin, right? The devil. You drown the, the old Adam, uh, Luther says in the catechism. Uh, that, that original sin that's lurking in you, you drown it in the baptismal waters. Okay? You're dead to sin. And uh, you come up out of those waters alive in Christ Jesus. Okay? So Paul's saying here you died to sin in your baptism. How does that work? Well, baptism is God's sacrament, God's command to connect us to what? The cross and the tomb. Our baptism connects us, it's a death and resurrection, to Jesus' death and resurrection. You died with Christ. And because you went down into the waters, because you died with Christ, you're also going to be raised again, right? Christ was, he died on the cross, but did he stay on the cross? No, he was raised again. And so if you drowned, if you died with Christ, drowned the old Adam in your baptism, then when you came up out of those waters, you certainly were raised again with him. And on the last day, you who are baptized will certainly uh, experience that resurrection again with him. Okay? So this is an important argument. Uh, first of all, this Paul uh, and um, also in Peter, but in the rest of the Pauline epistles we're going to look at, um, this idea is going to be implicit there that baptism is a connection to the passion of Christ. Um, but this is an important argument because this really does affect the way we live, right? Uh, Paul, Paul is saying here that you've already died, right? I had, a, I had a pastor put it to me this way once. I think I probably shared this before, but um, if, if you were a soldier in an army and the army was at war and they found out that you were invincible, right? You could get shot and it just went right through you and you healed back up right away, right? You couldn't die. You were invincible. Where would they put you? Front lines, right? Front lines. That is every Christian, right? Every true Christian baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're invincible, right? We've already died. If you've already died, you can't die again. You've already died to sin. If you die, what's going to happen? You're going to live, right? You're going to live again. You're going to live in eternity with, with your Father. And so uh, now in this life, we fight for what is good and right, right? In this life, we have freedom. We died to sin. We're not a slave to sin anymore. We've already died to it, right? Now we have a different life. And that freedom is then to love God and love our neighbor, right? That freedom is to not continue in sin, uh, but to be, um, he's going to go on in the rest of chapter six to say you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to who? Now you're a slave to Christ. 
to God. Yeah. Um, you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to Christ. Um, you can't help but be a slave in this life. The question is, are you going to be enslaved to sin or are you going to be enslaved to, uh, to Christ? Okay. So uh, that's what our baptism uh, does for us. Okay. Um, these passages, by the way, are in no particular order. These just came to me in this order. So it's the Holy Spirit. But uh, we're kind of jumping around here. Oh, I guess that was the last one we were going to do. Okay. Um, next, next time we're going to start with Mark 16, 16, which uh, if you read the article in The Messenger this month, uh, which I just put out on the table this afternoon, um, I hopefully with my article prove to you that Mark 16 – 16 is indeed in the Bible, even though it's in brackets in a lot of your Bibles. But it really is in the Bible, I promise. So um, Mark 16, 16 is what we'll do next week, but uh, that what we'll start with next week. Any questions on anything we talked about tonight? Any comments? Concerns? Okay. You got exposed to time travel, like you you traveled in time. No, Philip. Oh, Philip. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. Time travel because he said the next time he showed up was in another city. Time. Yeah. yeah, no, that is an interesting thing um, that happens to Philip, and uh, the same thing. Um, well, never mind. We won't. We don't need to talk about all that. But um, yeah, no, I mean that. There's a lot of. Uh, Acts is actually a really fun book because you get a lot of these uh, things, these miracles. So, you know, most people think about miracles in the Gospels with with Jesus. But in Acts, there's actually quite a few kind of amazing things that happen. Um, Trying to put these back and I keep falling. Um, Like uh, when Paul handles the snakes uh, and when like Peter heals heals people and and when Philip yeah like travels to or ends up in different cities um yeah that's it's a it's a good book um I want to do an Acts Bible study you know eventually sometime you know I don't know when but sometime all right any other questions or or comments all right let's end with a word of prayer dear Heavenly Father we are your baptized children and we thank and praise you for calling us Uh, your sons and daughters. We pray that you would continue to renew us uh, through our baptismal waters. Help us to always see that we are slaves to you and no longer slaves to sin. We pray that you would strengthen us through the fruits of your Holy Spirit who you have given to us in our baptisms. And we pray that we would lead lives wholly devoted to your service. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.